Are you listening? Damn. And welcome back once again to the Endurance Hour podcast, episode 367. Back alongside the Kona coach, Wendy Mater. I'm Dave Erickson. Thank you so much for listening this week. This is going to be uh, a little energetic and uh, frantic on my part because, Wendy, I just did my first cold plunge an hour ago. This is the thing I was waiting for in the mail. I don't know. If, did we talk about it last week? I can't remember if we did. We did. We did. You mentioned it last week at the end of the podcast. At I the think. end of the podcast. Okay, cool. Well, I it arrived yesterday. This is uh, from thecoldplunge.com. I think that's what their website is, thecoldplunge.com. Anyways, uh, mm-hmm. I got it yesterday. It took uh, seven weeks for delivery because everything's backed up these days. And it was super easy to set up. We I don't know if it was uh, white glove delivery on purpose or that's just how it comes because they the two guys uh put it up on my deck upstairs so they carry it in put it on the ground but the directions and the manual i had it uh, set up in a half hour 40 minutes because it took a little while to fill up the the tub but it was all Mm -hmm. super easy because the hose water was 66 degrees it took a while for it to get down and this morning it was 51 degrees Ask me some questions before I get into this because I'm I'm a little still shaky in a good way. Okay, so you well, my first question was how do you fill it? You you fill it with a hose. Yep. What's what's the ideal temp water temperature? Is there a specific water temperature range that you're trying to get to? Yeah, and I, I looked this up beforehand to to know how low to get to it. And mm-hmm. the general consensus is, or the idea is, as long as it's 50, below 59 degrees, then you're starting to get into the benefits of a cold water plunge, uh, cold water immersion. Okay. And how did you get it down to 51? Well, this uh, machine, and I think in the other, word, other places online, it said between 45 and 50 degrees is even better. So I got it down to 51 this morning. That's where it was. And I got out, it was 52. And I think it's because my body... Warmed up the water. <laughs> How long did you stay in? Well, that was the What's challenge. What's the recommendation? Well, uh, my wife did it yesterday. It wasn't that cold yesterday. She did it yesterday. She, she went for 30 seconds. And she told me, I can't do that long. And so I said, oh, really? And that was this morning. I wasn't planning on doing it immediately. So she says, can you hear me okay? Because my, my microphone just changed. Your microphone changed. I was going to interrupt you, but I thought we'd keep going with it, and then okay. I was going to interrupt you. As long as you can still hear me, something's wrong with my microphone. I can. It just it it just Quality sounds changed. different. Okay. Well, that will keep on going until we get interrupted. Uh, so she said, uh, I went 30 seconds yesterday. It was super cold. My feet were tingling through the night. You can't do it that long. I go, oh, yeah? Tell me I can't see what happens. That's kind of our little joke phrase. So mm-hmm. I said, all right, I'll do it right now. And I wasn't planning on recording anything, but I had the idea of how I was going to set up a couple of cameras and do it one take, no editing, blah, blah, because you have to. So I got in. I said, okay, I'll go three minutes and you'll put a timer on me. She's in the background. I put it on the, it's in the back deck just off the master bedroom. So I did that, stepped inside at 51 degrees and started talking. And uh, one little twist here. I didn't go to my neck, which I should have gone. I, went, I didn't go as low as I, I should have gone. I went just below my uh-huh. shoulders as far as I, as, as I went, but I could go, go lower, which will make it probably feel a little colder. Uh, okay. But she said three minutes. So she was talking. She had the counter off in the background, and I was asking her, and she said, oh, okay, you got a minute and a half. Keep going. Sweet. So I keep on talking, 
Then I get to three minutes. I go, oh, three minutes, huh? That was easy. Give me four. So I went four, and I thought it was four, but when I edited the video, it was actually 444. So that's how long mm -hmm. I went in there. And I got out, did some air squats, moved my arms around, because I watched a video on their website that says it's kind of good to you know jumpstart the you know your body again, your blood circulation by moving around afterwards. And I feel great. I feel I feel fine. I'm not tingling. I thought about wearing some booties inside, uh -huh. but didn't didn't really didn't matter because I guess I'm I'm used to it or I can handle it. Because oh, uh, the Coeur d'Alene really 70.3 water that's temperature was 59 one. degrees when I swam in it four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I thought I could handle it. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I, I was exposed to cold water uh, protocol three, I think I started it three years ago with when I was looking into Wim Hof and a client told me about him and I started reading up on it. So I had the luxury of taking plunges in the wintertime at the lifetime outdoor pool because mm -hmm. it, they didn't heat it. So it did end up getting maybe even close to 45 at the coldest. And, but at that point I was just able to go like waist deep and I could go waist deep for like 10 minutes. But it really, it, it opened up my mind to how refreshing and how awakening. Oh my God. If you really, if you're feeling like you're dragging, jump in cold water under 60, it'll definitely wake you up. I think my microphone is back. Yeah. Sounds better. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this guy too, and you know, I don't know if it was a year ago I heard about this guy. Um, he's got a an older guy with a kind of a long, long hair kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's got a whole Wim Hof method. He's got yes. a whole series. He's got like a, a free a free online thing that you could go through, like a free month. Like you know, you start with a thirty minute a thirty second shower, and he goes through this protocol to help you acclimate to it. And then um, people go, I believe it's to Poland, and they go and do like a camp, like a week-long camp in the wintertime, trekking, hiking through, you know, waist-deep snow in their Speedo. <laughs> yeah. And you see all these videos and all these methods, and, and, but, the, but they're, they're, they're following this protocol, so they're acclimating according to yeah. how he wants them to acclimate, so, so it's safer. Yeah. You know, I also listen to Joe Rogan on a regular basis, and he had he's had people on. You know, was Dan, uh, Dr. Danica Patrick or Dan, her, some lady named Patrick, and there was another guy on uh -huh. recently who's a you know human, you know, uh, scientist, and he was talking about how he plunges three days a week or four days a week for a total of eleven minutes. So all these really short uh, plunges throughout the week, and that eleven to twelve minutes was an optimal time for him. Uh, over the body for the benefits, whether it's you know de uh, less stress, uh, increase your metabolism, help you burn fat, uh, overall well-being, a feeling of well-being, and uh, increase your immunity, all that great stuff. Yeah, and the reason I got this, and maybe we mentioned it the last podcast, is that I I want to have a, a better recovery and put myself in the best position to do well at Ironman Arizona, and so that was that's my idea of doing maybe a, a regular, probably will be doing a weekly or a couple different videos per week inside the plunge <laughs> while talking about, you know, how training's going or some tips along the way uh, that we can just share that, that you've talked to me about and then that we talk about in the podcast. So I've already posted no, I my think first that's video. Great. And you also have the sauna. So you can yeah. do, again, Wim Hof talks all about the hot cold. 
Mm. You know, after you do your 10 minute, you know, 50 degree water thing, ice bath, whatever you're doing, then you jump into the sauna for X amount of time. Mm. And then you go back into the cold and then you jump in the sauna, cold sauna. I never did the sauna, but I would do the cold hot tub, cold hot tub, cold hot tub. You know, when I first was doing the Wim Hof thing, when I was first learning about it, I did do the sauna. And it took me a while, but I was able to spend 15 minutes in the sauna, which for me, as much as I love heat, I like being active in the heat. I don't Mm. like just sitting in the heat. So that was a challenge. And the reason I did this was cold water is extremely challenging for me. It's probably the most challenging thing for me to do is get in cold water. Um, And I wanted to overcome that. And then just sitting in a sauna for that long was very challenging for me as well. Yeah. Well, even uh, Rogan, again, I mentioned him, but he, he talks about being active in a sauna, you know, whether it's doing exercises uh-huh. or moving around or just being, you know, something where there's movement in that. I like that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I like that for sure. Now, now that I bought this uh, cold plunge, which that's the official name, cold plunge, uh, I have a discount code that I can share where people can save 150 bucks off a purchase. It's not a lot of money, but it's a little, little something. Uh, so if you put mm-hmm. Dave 150 at checkout, you can get a little discount code, uh, discount off your purchase. Dave 150. We'll put it in the newsletter too. Uh, but I just want to something I can share back. Say, hey, if I'm willing to invest in this, uh, they say, hey, share it, and we'll, you know, it's kind of an affiliate link. We'll give you a, uh, we'll give, we'll give you credit as well. So cool. If you can use it, great. Nice. If not, I'm gonna be showing the benefits of it, talking about the benefits of it for the next few months and probably even longer. And my education will be hopefully your education. So moving on to uh, the podcast topics and questions, we're going to kick off with uh, Bob who left something inside the T2 Endurance Group on Facebook, a closed group. You just got a request to join, answer a few questions. So Bob says, I'm following your couch to half Ironman plan, which I found on Training Peaks starting on August 8th. So just a couple of days from now. And I plan on using heart rate to measure my intensity. I have spent the last month getting used to uh, getting up to the mileage that you recommend to be able to, to before before to uh, to be at before the program starts. During that time, I recognize I'm not able to run more than a few minutes at a time to keep my heart rate in the right zone. Any suggestions on how to modify the run workouts in the plan to accommodate walking, Wendy? Well, first, hey Bob, thank you for purchasing the program and you know, asking a few questions about it. Cause I think it's important, um, if you're following any program to understand the, the workout intention and the workout details. So, uh, I want to start off by saying, you know, when it comes to heart rate zones, make sure you're following the correct zones. So I'd be interested to know what type of protocol you followed, if any, to calculate your zones. And within the plan, I use a five zone scale one being very easy, five being, you know, more like a speed workout, high intensity, maximum effort type of training zone. And within the program, you're able to follow heart rate, power, pace, rate of perceived effort. And I think it's great that you're using heart rate to follow the intensity guidelines because that's what I started with when I started training. And at the same time, you know, I've asked other athletes this question when they talk about, you know, they're not able to stay in the right zone. They're using zones that their actual Garmin calculated for them, which is which isn't always the most accurate way to calculate your heart rate zones. So within the plan, we do suggest in this particular program doing a mile and a half up to a three mile uh, run time trial if you're able to do that. 
And then, you know, generally your average heart rate or percentage of your average heart rate for that race-like effort. And that's important that it's just not a three-mile run, but that it's in a race-like effort your average heart rate is generally going to be your threshold heart rate, which is zone four. So again, just make sure those are the correct zones you're trying to follow. If you're running and you're supposed to be running in an endurance zone, say zone two, and you're when, as soon as you start running, again, I've heard this before, you're up to zone three, zone four, zone five, heart rate wise, monitor your effort. If you're, if your heart rate is in zone four, and that's threshold, but you're feeling like you're running very easy or an endurance pace, I would just really stick to keeping that feeling up and using heart rate as your guide, assuming you don't have any cardiovascular heart issues and um, you're clear from having to, you know, be very precise with your heart rate zones. And some people have to because they have previous conditions. And again, use that heart rate as a tool to monitor what's going on, but, but it's okay to be a, a little bit above or a little bit below if your feeling is in the right zone. And that's why I always stress monitoring effort by rate of perceived effort. And I, we go through guidelines on a, a one to 10 scale for our rate of perceived effort. So that's what, I, you know, those are the first two things I'd start with. Um, number three, it's okay to take walking breaks to lower that zone. If you're running and you want to, you're feeling like it's a little bit higher effort than what you want to do or what the planning training plan details detail you to do, then, then definitely take a walking break. Jeff Galloway is the guru in the run walk method. He's written books and articles and blogs about certain ratios of running to walking based on your current, um, event times Generally, what I've been most successful with with athletes that I personally coach is doing like a two minute run, 30 second walk or four minute run, one minute walk, because it's okay to just kind of get, you know, you don't really necessarily want to walk when you need to, you know, it's good to get in the habit of saying, all right, I'm going to incorporate walking breaks within my training. So my body gets used to the run walk method and, and getting used to a ratio that it's comfortable with depending on what you're doing. And so regarding um, incorporating more walking within the plan, the plans that we created are generally all running based plans. We don't have any walking specific detailed workouts within the plan, but it's okay if, if the plan says whether it's like a 30 minute run or a three mile run and you want to walk that if it's a, di if you're following distance, then, then walk. And, and run and, and just try to complete that distance. Or if it's time-based and you're adding, if it's a 30 minute run and you're gonna add, let's say 10 minutes worth of walking, maybe you wanna extend that 30 minutes to 40 minutes. So you're still getting in the 30 minutes part of running and you're adding the 10 by one minute walking breaks within the 30 minutes. So hopefully that helps um, guide you along the way on your journey. Good answer and good question, thanks very much. Uh, this is from Katie, and this sounds like uh, a transition in her life, as well as uh, maybe a, an answer for someone else out there who's considering what it takes to do an Ironman. She says here, I've got bursitis, and it's not a serious thing, but it's been a wake-up call. And I've been thinking about my job. It's best if I stop doing Ironman, she says. I thought for sure this was... Uh, the way things were going to be, but there's something inside me that says, I'm just not accepting this. Can you give me some feedback? 
Uh, have you ever felt satisfied with the shorter distances? How do I know? Um, how did you know if you did when you were done with the long course? You know, you know what I'm saying? I think she wants to get away from the Ironmans, but still wants to wants to know if it's just as satisfying doing the shorter distances. Yeah. So again, Katie and I actually had a Facebook message conversation. She's in our T2 Endurance Facebook group. I just thought it was really a really good question that a lot of athletes could benefit from um, the conversation that we had. And so um, she is, she's actually battled a couple of injuries and you know, we, we kind of talked about her why, why she wants to do Ironman, why she potentially might jump into the shorter distances. And, you know, just to answer, you know, her question of her why of wanting to do Ironman was she really enjoys the longer rides, like the 70 to 100 mile bike rides. And I followed up with her and I said, well, you can still do 70 and 100 mile bike rides and not have to compete in an Ironman. And, and we went into, you know, making sure you continue to do what you love. And if riding 100 miles every weekend is something that you really enjoy doing and you have time to do, you can still do that and not have to have the Ironman at the end of the season to try to accomplish. You know, because it sounds like, you know, her issues are really limiting her more from the run portion or the marathon portion of an Ironman. And so, you know, I told her, you know, maybe she she jumped back into training too soon after her injury and she just hasn't taken enough time to allow it to recover. And life or uh, triathlon's a lifestyle. So, you know, even if you're someone and a lot of us are out there that have to take a year or two off triathlon or maybe a year or two off running because that seems to um, give us the most injuries, it doesn't mean you can't jump into it again. And I mean, we're all amateurs here. Amateurs don't retire. We just maybe we'll take a break and then we'll jump back into it. I've been doing this for 30 years and I have not been training for an Ironman all 30 years of me being in the sport. I took um, 2004, 2005, 2006 off of Ironman specifically just to get faster. And so I really enjoyed doing the higher intensity, shorter workouts that actually created a lot of speed for me. And that speed that I got during those years translated into a faster Ironman. And so, yes, to answer your first question, I do, I did get a lot out of racing sprints and Olympics and I still love doing endurance events. And so to answer her second question, how do you know when you're done with Ironman? I may be taking a, I may have taken breaks from Ironman and I will again after this Ironman come October, I'll take a break from doing Ironman, but that doesn't mean I'm done with Ironman, that doesn't mean I'm done with endurance sports in general. It just means that there's other um, events, there's other things I want to do, like Spartan races, obstacle course races, and ultra runs, and some open water swimming, longer distance events that I want to accomplish. And I don't want to be focused on Ironman during that time. And so I just encouraged her to allow herself time to heal because it's not fun training injured. If you know, again, I've I've been in the sport long enough that I know. I, you know, I'm aware of my body awareness. I know when I'm a potentially about to get injured because I, I've been injured before and I, I'm able to stop it. Um, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, consistent with my mobility training, strength training, and that helps me, um, with injury prevention. And I have a very good nutrition plan and I try to sleep, um, a lot as much as I can, as much as my schedule allows, because that's so important for recovery. So I just encouraged her to really look at all aspects of her life and really focus on that why and that reason she wants to do it. 
and, and just allow herself, you know, the flexibility to take more time off to recover so she can get back into the sport healthy. You mentioned retirement, um, friend of the podcast, uh, lady girl who I met in 2009, I think for the first time in Kona, Lindsay Corbin. Uh, when I met, I met and interviewed her in 2009, I didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. And she had uh, finished like top five the year before. And I, I was asking her, so what's your experience with, you know, with Ironman or how'd you do or something, something along those lines. And, and my eyes are, whoa, I didn't realize who I was talking to. This is a, a high elite professional. And someone just mentioned, hey, you should go talk to Lindsay. And this is, I think it was during their, um, their fun 5K or some sort of 10K fun run they do during the week of Kona. Uh-huh. And so I, you know, I became friends with her, you know, professional friends with her over the years. She's been on the podcast a couple of times, and she mentioned recently that this will be her final race in Kona as a professional after 16 or 17 years racing as a professional triathlete. So end of an era for those of you. Uh, if you don't know who Lindsay Corbin is, she's the one who comes down the finishing line shoot with a cowboy hat. Someone hands it to her, and yeah. she, she's from Montana. I think she lives in Bend now, but a really great, great person, a uh, great ambassador of the sport, and she's retiring uh, after she finishes Kona this year. So a little bit of, bittersweet for her. Uh, but you know what? For for Katie and anybody else, you know, once an Ironman, always an Ironman. Once a triathlete, always a triathlete. And mm-hmm. Ironman doesn't define you as a triathlete. So just because you step away from that distance, that's fine. You are still a triathlete and you're still living the lifestyle. Um, it may be, I know in my own head of like, it's been a long time, I think 2015 since I did my last full and I'm doing my next one this November. I'm looking forward to feeling like, and this is in my, in my own head, feeling like an Ironman again. Even though I've done five, I haven't done one for a while and it feels like, uh, yeah, I used to do Ironman even though I do 70.3s more. It's like, uh, yeah, I want to do another one just so I can feel like I'm still part of the club. And that's in my own head, even mm-hmm. though the advice I'm just giving to Katie now is like, you're once you're an Ironman, you're always an Ironman. You're part of the family. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think she's just struggling with maybe a little bit of, of the identity about it. Mm. You know, like you mentioned, you know, it doesn't define you, which is true. Yeah. Next question from Jeremy. I'm following your couch to Ironman program. A lot of people follow our programs, apparently. Uh, he's on week 16, and he's loving it. Again, these are programs you can find on Training Peaks, and we've got discount codes that are there in the text, so you can use those. 33% off, you can take off our plans. Uh, my pool is closed for a couple of days for maintenance. A couple of days. And open water is not really an option where he lives. What do you suggest I do instead on the days I usually swim? I appreciate your thoughts from Jeremy. Hey, Jamery, thanks for following our plan. And this kind of goes back to a little bit about incorporating those walking sessions into the running sessions instead. So you have a few options, you know, first and foremost, I'd say, you know, if it's just a couple days, um, enjoy a day off, you know, do something else that day instead of your scheduled swim, take a nap, hang out with your family, you know, do something that you've been wanting to do that you've put off because of uh, maybe you've invested a little bit more time into training. So it gives you a break. Again, if it's just a few days, taking a few days out of the water is not a big deal. If it's a few weeks, well, then that's, you know, my answer is going to be a little bit different. Um, You could do some dry land exercises if you own a pair of stretch cords or resistance bands. Again, depending on have you been doing some strength training with resistance bands and you want to do a little bit more on the days you're not swimming 
or you haven't been doing it at all and maybe now's the time to incorporate it, use that time spent doing some band work or some strength training and maybe if you haven't been doing it, you'll find out you enjoy it and so now you're going to make it, um, you know, an integrate integrated into your plan moving forward. Um, a lot of other athletes I know, especially in 2020 when the pool, all the pools were closed for a few months, they they were on the rowing machine. So if you have access to a rowing machine at a gym or maybe you own one, that's a little bit of going to, again, it's going to give you a little bit of resistance as well as um, cardiovascular workout. So that's also an option. I personally don't like sitting on the rowing machines. Um, they're just not comfortable for me. So that's not something that I would do. Um, and then other people always ask me, you know, should I run again? Should I run more? Should I cycle more? I, I've always, I'm always hesitant to tell someone to run in place of swimming because they're completely different muscle groups and th that extra di couple days of running is not going to help your swimming at all. Swimming's a feel for the water. Swimming's an upper body sport. So, and running, if you add more running miles, you're at risk for potential injury. So I'm always hesitant for, to tell someone to run more, but if you wanted to just kind of go out for an extra spin on the bike and add a little bit more cycling mileage, I think that would be okay. But as long as you keep it low intensity, more in that recovery endurance zone and place your swim workout, I think that's also a good option. Good tips. Good question, Jeremy. This one, uh, I don't have a name on it, but hi, Wendy. I just did my first sprint two weeks ago. Congratulations. I borrowed a bike from a family member to use on race day, and now I'd like to get a bike of my own. I see such a wide range of prices for bicycles, but I'd like to keep mine under $800. Are there any bike recommendations under that price? My motivation is just fitness and to enjoy the challenge that multi-sport provides, so I probably don't need a serious bike. I'm looking to do another sprint in September. Thanks in advance for any advice. Again, good question. Um, I've actually made a video on the Endurance Hour YouTube channel about bike purchases. Um, going from myself, I used a mountain bike for my first race and then I used a borrowed road bike for my second race. I didn't know how to clip in. I was in the small chain ring. I didn't know how to shift gears at all. So, you know, I understand what you're going through when you're, you're using a borrowed bike. And then I was really motivated to buy my first um, road bike. I didn't even really know the difference between road bike and triathlon bike back then. And the best advice someone gave me was don't ride, don't buy the first bike you ride mm. because for me going from mountain bike to borrowed bike to my own bike, of course I wanted to, but I took that advice to heart and I didn't. And so I, I did my shopping. Um, I got experience on, you know, different types of bikes, different styles of frames. The cost of the bike is usually the different, you know, you could look at two road bikes or two triathlon bikes and be like, why is one a thousand dollars and one is $5,000. And usually that has to do with the the components, um, components, bringing brakes, cables, gearing, shifters, derailers, and, and, you know, some components you can buy low cost, you know, for a $500 and then some components that have like electrical shifters are going to be like 25 to $3,000. And so that is usually the difference between the cost and bikes, as well as what the frame is made out of. Is it going to be, um, steel? My first road bike was a steel frame. It was still fairly light though. So you're going to have steel, aluminum, titanium, and carbon to name four that I'm familiar with. And, and carbon's usually the lightest and most expensive. So you always want to check out, you know, what is the bike made out of material wise and what kind of components they have, because that's definitely going to fluctuate the price. 
you can get a very good used bike for $800 or less. Mm-hmm. And um, she, what does she use the word in there? She doesn't need a serious, a serious bike. I kind of <laughs> laughed at that because a serious bike is so relative to the person and what yeah. serious means to you. Um, I believe you can get a serious bike and, and I'm defining serious bike as a nice used, lightly used triathlon bike with pretty decent end, you know, maybe, um, middle of the range components, you know, for, for about 800, maybe up to $1,500. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything you're saying here, I, I looked up just, uh, what was it entry level triathlon bike and prices? And this is something from May of 2022. And yeah, you can go as low as 600 bucks, go to Craigslist or eBay, look for something three years old, try to get carbon if you can. Uh, but used bikes, um, yeah, people are people are transitioning into the the sport and out of the sport. Sometimes people are just doing it for a couple of years and they realize, you know, I'm not going to need my bike anymore. So why hang on to this this bike? I'll sell it and get a few hundred bucks, and it's a benefit to you. So look in those places, and again, like like uh, Wendy was saying, look for the frame, whether it's carbon, aluminum, titanium. Components might be an issue if you want to go road with uh, clip-on aero bars, but. Nowadays, you can just get a, a straight-up triathlon bike or TT bike, as they call it, and then uh, just find something used. And that way, you're not uh, going too far in the hole with your non-serious bike, and you can still get out there and enjoy the sport. Oh, yeah, and make sure this is a worthwhile extra investment. Make sure you invest in a bike fit. Yes. I think, again, the, someone told me this probably 30 years ago, and I say it all the time. A bike fit, finds, if you're going to invest in a bike, make sure it fits you. And, and, and spend the extra two $300 to go to a professional bike fit that's well-known, that has high credentials to make sure it fits you and you get the right, um, the right components. Yeah, you know, knowing what size bike you need as well. So if you go in, you know, do your, do your research by going physically into a bike shop and saying, what size am I? Uh, I know what size I am uh, on my bike, and I recently bought a road bike recently. And I told the guy I bought it from, a friend of mine from high school, I said, "Hey, I'm a 50. I think I'm a 56 on my tri bike on my Trek. Uh, I'm looking for a road bike, and we're the same height. He and I. He, I think he, he might be six feet tall, but we're both about 5'11. So he already knew, based on his height, what bike size I would be on a road bike. And so he goes, oh, I got you to 55, but in this bike, this Orbea, 55 really means anywhere between blah blah blah. You know." So it all fit, no problem. So I got there, and we made a couple of adjustments on the seat height and uh, the front and uh, after what it, the front and back part of it. So yeah, it, it, it was good, but I already knew what size I was. So making sure it's the right size, and then the adjustments uh, that they someone else can make for you, and where your knee hits over your toe, for example, how far back you are, how comfortable your arms are when your hands are in the and the hoods. So yeah, there's some things to consider, and then that fit has to be established because you know a $200 bike with the wrong fit is going to cost you a lot more in in chiropractor bills and massages later so get a, a good bike that exactly fits you. yep I agree well those are the immediate questions we have for the the podcast today uh Wendy is there something else that uh that has come up or some things that you wanted to hit on before we kind of wrap up this short episode Um, you know, just some questions I post in the T2 endurance group, such as how many events do you do a year? And Mm. if anyone answers that question, I I specifically said, you know, if they're running events, what's the distance? If they're swimming events, what's the distance, you know, triathlon events, what's the distance. And so we got some conversation going in in the T2 endurance group about that, that people can check out if they're not already in there. Um, 
And, you know, that's pretty much it. Well, I got to follow on that. You know, when I first, I, every time, this is weird. My last bike ride, which was just last weekend, I went without headphones. Or I didn't turn my headphones on. It was really interesting. I was, I started off and I, did, I forgot to turn them on, the, the bone connecting ones that don't go in your ear, but around your ear. I hadn't turned it on right away when I started riding. And then I just started hearing the air and the, you know, the birds. And it's like, I'm going to go without them. Even though they, they don't really get in the way of hearing cars, but I'm going to go without headphones. And I, I rode the whole hour and a half or so two hours without headphones it was very very nice um the point oh i was kind of brainstorming oh that you know i know i've done well over 100 triathlons and you know so many x you know halves and fulls and that kind of thing and i was wondering what's a not a healthy but i used to do six to eight triathlons a year maybe 10 during my single life you know non-kids life single life when i had all this time to train but i don't do that now is there a certain number of triathlons which seems to be a fair feel? Oh, time out. One second. What's that, baby? What's that? You want to go in there? Okay. Uh, the daughter is asking me a question here. Oh, now she's out. I'm going to keep this in here because uh, I'm doing the podcast as a, as a dad. Um, how many triathlons should a person shoot for a year? What's kind of like, oh, that's a, a good number to go for. Is it two? Is it five? Is it? Tens too many. What do you think? You know, it all depends on the distance. So when I started and I was doing uh, sprints and Olympics back in Michigan, there were so many races, more than I've ever got when I lived in Colorado. I mm. mean, just races all the time. So I raced. Um, I don't know if it was my first first year. I raced three or four times, and my big event was an Olympic distance at the end of my first year. Mm -hmm. But the next year, I probably raced twelve to fifteen times. Like it seemed like almost every weekend because they were mostly sprints with a couple of Olympics. And then my third year of racing, I jumped into a half Ironman, which was held in Muncie, Indiana, and it used to be called the Muncie Endurathon, which now is called, I think, Muncie 70.3. So it really just depends. And I, I probably recognized that third year that I didn't want to race so much, you know, it takes, costs money. Back then, it wasn't as much money, but it was still a lot of money mm -hmm. and travel time. And it takes me away from training, and I enjoy the training so much more than I enjoy the racing, believe it or not. So um, as I got into the longer distances, the racing was less and less. And so I, you know, kind of just off the top of my head, if I'm going to do one Ironman a year, I'm probably going to do two, maybe three events leading up to the Ironman event if it's in the fall. So maybe, you know, four races that year, triathlons that year. And I'll, mm -hmm. I'll sprinkle in some running, local running events as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it for me, you know? So again, it just depends on your experience and your goals and how much money you have and where mm -hmm. the events are located and how much travel's yeah, involved yeah. and how much money is involved. And for the Ironman, I think it's important when you're, when you're, whether you're at your first Ironman or 20th Ironman or more, I think it's important that you don't race in like that eight week to 12 week leading up to an Ironman. So you can just focus on the training it, it takes to, to prepare for the Ironman, mm -hmm. unless your first race of the season is going to be within that eight to 12 weeks leading up to an Ironman. I think it's important to get in a race before your first Ironman, especially. Yeah. All good points. And I, I think the same thing about what it is, your, how, how you're, stacking your your season is it a build up to 
You know, do you want to do a couple, you know, a yeah. sprint, a couple Olympics to a half leading up to your full so you can, you know, build? Or do you want to sprinkle based on your schedule and what's available, you know, distance wise, locally wise? You know, how far do I have to travel? Do I have to go across the state? Do I have to do a five hour drive versus a 10 hour drive? Is two hour drives every weekend doable? And is it, are you doing it just to do it or is there a purpose behind doing it? If you're just enjoying the environment and the, the camaraderie, you're racing with friends or a team, cool. Uh, but if you want to get serious, then you probably have to have some space between those races and there's got to be a reason behind why you're doing it when you're doing it. Yeah. 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 Like today, this, this year I, I had, I've only done a, a Olympic, no, what did I do? I've already forgotten. Oh, I've only done a half. Yeah, I did a half and I was going to do a sprint, but I skipped that one. And then I have an Olympic coming up and I got a full. And for something else is available based on, you know, family life, <laughs> kids, wife, you know, travel, then I'll squeeze one in there just to do it for the experience with purpose. Uh, but yeah, I've already set my calendar because I have a, I have a plan. Anyhow, I, was, I thought I'd throw it out there as uh, people think about what's, a healthy amount or don't want to get burned out, which I I'm I have in the past and I think you have too. It's like, ah, I need to take a break from this. I don't want to make this my my everything. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well that's gonna wrap it up for this episode two uh oh, sorry, three sixty seven. I uh, hope that's got some benefit out of that for y'all and uh, sign up for our newsletter. We've got some great content in those newsletters, not just a, a recap of the podcast, but links to articles um, some stories and discount codes to the things that we're affiliated with or uh, things that uh, we have sponsorship partnerships with. Any final words, Wendy? Um, no, just have a great weekend of racing, training, or recovery, like you always say. And, you know, join the group, join the chatter, post some questions, email me questions for the next podcast, um, rate and review us on iTunes, and um, find us on Instagram. Make it a great day. For Wendy, I'm Dave. Adios. Adios.